Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2003 film, The Triplets of Belleville. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Uh, Barrett, before we started recording, we both commented on how this is a, this is a really good movie, but also a, a kind of a tricky one to talk about in some ways. So we're going to do our, our best with this. Um, let's start with our traditional question. What is your history with this film? Is this something you saw in 2003? No, this is another one of those films that I've been aware of for a long time, but just had never gotten around to watching. So I knew it by reputation. Uh, and so I just thought like, this is a good, ex- this is a good excuse to watch it as, as, uh, as good as good excuse as any to watch it. Oh, so this was your first time. Watching yeah, it's my, it. yeah, my first time. Oh, through. okay. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah. I remember this movie from the, would have been the 2004 Oscars for mm. 2003. I remember the, um, I remember the title. I remember seeing clips from it. Uh, they had it had a song nominated, so like yeah. it was kind of all over that Oscars. And uh, it's interesting because that's the third year of Best Animated Feature, um, and Finding Nemo wins that year, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, in retrospect, feels a little bit like wow, we've given this award out twice and haven't given it to Pixar. We really need to give this to a Pixar movie yeah. <laughs> uh, because I watched this and thought. I think Finding Nemo is great. I think this probably probably could have won that, and I would have been okay with 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 this being an Oscar winner because I I thought this movie is inventive and interesting and doing a lot uh, a lot. Now, one of the things that I as I was writing notes for this conversation, I, I wrote something down, and then I like I kind of disagreed with myself after I wrote it. Um, because it's, I wrote, it's a simple story because like the mm. plot is fairly simple. Um, but then at the same time, it's definitely not too simple. Like there's for something that is basically wordless, uh, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of, in some ways, a lot of potential plot going on in there, even though at its core, the story is very simple. Uh, I mean, it spans decades. It spans continents. It's about a small town, big city. It's about family life and loss and commerce and organized crime. Like it's about all of these things. Um, and at the same time, it's simple. So like, I, like that, I, here's the, here's the, okay. Here's the, 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 the thing that I, that I, I think it maybe is a way to get into this is that I think this is a movie that is interested in you like, reading it in lots of different ways, getting into different themes there. But at the same time, it doesn't require you to do that to enjoy it. I think that's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I kind of like, I kind of like what Roger Ebert said about it. Um, uh, And I think it goes along a little bit, a little bit along lines of what you're saying, Sam. And that is that Ebert said that most, most animated features, uh, have he calls it an almost grotesque desire to be loved like like but he says he what he likes about this film is it's not necessarily serious about this world it does create this kind of in, interesting world but it just wants you to kind of enjoy the comic vision mm-hmm. and to me that's one of the reasons why it's really important that the film is is animated not that we don't take animation seriously and i can think of plenty of I think of plenty of animated films that are are deadly serious. Um, so just the fact that something is animated doesn't mean that it isn't serious. Grave of the Fireflies would be probably my my key uh, example of that. It's a truly tragic film, which is animated. 
But I think there is a kind of a distancing that goes on in this film, because despite all the really serious themes you've talked about, I mean, I never was really worried about the gangsters. I mean, <laughs> you know, so, so there's, there's a fundamental kind of playfulness about the film, even though it's got all those other things going on. Because in a zany world like this, you think, you know, everything's ultimately going to kind of be all right. Um, maybe ex- except maybe for the frogs. Uh, right, right, right. I, yeah, the frogs are dead. <laughs> no, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely that's absolutely true. Um, that there is a uh, oddly when you watch a live action movie, it feels well. This part it, it feels realer because it's because you're seeing you know real real images depicted. So so I feel like the stakes feel different in a kind of way. Maybe. Um, uh, another thing that jumped out, I mean, two other things jumped out at me. This, um, as you said, this is a, a mostly silent film. Well, not silent, mostly wordless film. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are some things said, and I had this moment of panic when I started watching it. It's like, did I get the wrong version? Mm-hmm. Because they're def- they definitely seem to be speaking French. I think I'm tracking, but I was worried, is, is this going to turn into a film with a lot of dialogue that I'm missing? And then I realized, oh no, no, it's like the filmmaker is saying, yeah, we're going to say some things, but don't don't worry about that. Like like you're you're going to be okay. And I actually kind of like that. I like that that there was no dubbing, there was no subtitles. Occasionally, something was said in English, and I was like, okay, I know that. And the stuff in French, I was like, I, I get, I get what's going on here. I don't, I don't need to know exactly what was said, you know, in the Charles de Gaulle speech or things like that, you know. <laughs> I, I had the exact same moment of panic, Sam. I kind of went back and reselected closed captions on my on my streaming uh, version. No, I no, I had a I had a DVD. I take that back. Anyway, uh, and then I figured, yeah, no, that's this is the point um, that it doesn't really a lot matter what they're saying. And actually, you can pretty much infer what's being said just from the way other people are are, are, are reacting. So in that respect, and this is a kind of kind of a key element of talking about this film. It's very much like a Jacques Tati, Tati film, uh, and you get a couple of references to Tati. You get actually on the TV at one point there's a uh, there's a scene of him on a bicycle from uh, Jour de Fête, which is his first full length film. And then you have several times the camera makes sure that you see that Monsieur Hulot's Hulot's um, holiday is uh, there's a poster for that on the wall, and there's a lot. So so the spirit of this film kind of owes a lot to Tati. And that's the way his films were. They were um, there. They had they had very little emphasis on dialogue, a lot of emphasis on sound, but not necessarily on the on the spoken word. Uh, And this film is kind of uh, paying a certain kind of homage to uh, Tati. Yeah. So is that the is that the film that the triplets are watching when they're in bed? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was wondering. I felt like. As I was watching, I felt like this is a reference to something. Yes, I don't yes. know what it is, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe other people know know what what is uh, what this is a, a reference to. Um, the other thing about this is that it is um, mostly hand drawn. I mean, there's some other elements in this, um, uh, and and even the way it is hand. I mean, it, it's a it it looks different than the Miyazaki, uh, you know, Spirited Away hand drawn. There is. Um, I'm trying to think how I would describe it. It's it's very intentional, even in letting you know that this is hand drawn. Um, as I think about the drawing style, there's a lot of um, this had to be hard to make. There's a lot of like doubling over the lines, mm-hmm. like if they're you know drawing where where instead of 
Uh, if I was to draw a curve, I could just draw one line or I could draw a series of lines to make that curve. And this is interested in, in, um, in adding in those extra lines as they're drawing, um, which again, I think must make this very hard to animate because you have, um, uh, you need to sort of keep that as you're moving these objects. So I, I would say this is a, a beautiful film to look at uh, in terms of all of the details and all of the um, care, maybe I would say, put into what things look like, even though this is a movie that is grotesque. <laughs> like it's it's both beautiful in terms of like 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 the the care put into it, uh, but he's also I don't know that there is a character in this movie that is attractive to look at exactly. No, you're right. It's I mean, <laughs> it took me a while to kind of accept um, Champion's grotesqueness. You know, when he becomes a, a cyclist, he looks like a kind of looks like a bent hairpin with these, and he's got these huge legs and this jutting uh, jutting neck and chin, and and then you realize, well, he's actually representing the characteristics of kind of the ideal cyclist, and so it's very it's very much in the tradition of of caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also really difficult to pin it down to any one influence. I mean, I found it interesting as I read a number of different reviews. Um, there was a wide range of visual styles to which this was compared. Um, you know, sometimes it was European comic books. Sometimes it was people like uh, Americans like Edward Gorey. Uh, sometimes, and this was a revelation to me because I had never, did not understand, did not know who uh, Windsor McKay was. He was mm-hmm. a animation, early animator who did Little Nemo, which is a, which is a, um, actually a comic strip uh, that, uh, that I've heard of. And he also did what may be the first animated film featuring dinosaurs called Gertie the Dinosaur in 1914. Anyway, and, and, then, and then there's a couple of uh, references to uh, Czech animators. And of course, we watched a Czech film when we, when we watched um, Fantastic Planet. There's references to some British. Uh, I mean, it's just all over the map. And, and, and ironically, or, or, interestingly enough, um, uh, Chamont had a early uh, collaboration with another French artist named Cerce, and he then accused Chamont of um, plagiarism, uh, plagiarizing one of his graphic novels with the style of Triplets of Belleville. So I went back and looked at a couple pages of that graphic novel, and there are some elements that are certainly reminiscent of Triplets of Belleville, especially in terms of the interiors. Uh, and the way that buildings are buildings are, are and and interior objects are represented, but then there's other elements of that graphic novel which are quite different from Triplets of Belleville. So I think what you can say is maybe he's kind of these guys who sort of refers to everything and and nothing that mm-hmm. somehow uh, to me it's almost a it's almost a T.S. Eliot way of picking up on tradition. It's like he he's drawing from all these different literally he's drawing from all these different traditions, but ultimately creating something that at the same time is unique. Yeah, no, I, I thought visually what I didn't I didn't do any reading on what what references might be. It reminded me so much of looking at um, especially kind of early mid twentieth century political cartoons mm-hmm. um, that they because because it does feel like even though most of the people represented in the, in this movie aren't real people it felt like i am caricaturing a real person and i am you know making their nose much bigger and doing this and this to emphasize certain qualities about them one of the other things i did read about um uh about the uh, about chome is that he part of the like 
way that he made people is thinking because people don't have voices, I need to visually distinguish people a great deal. Mm. So, so, so that's why like everybody has their own kind of unique shape. And so he was explaining why like the, um, the, the kind of uh, mafia grunts are these big, like square rectangular people. And he's like, Mm -hmm. because they stand out right away. Like you don't, it doesn't take long. You don't need to think, Oh wait, is that one of those guys? He's like, yes, it is. They have this shape. The cyclists have, very particular mm-hmm. shape um Souza is this very tiny little person you know so so she re you can read her right away um so i so that was that was you know part of that um what i also find interesting is it's not just the human body that is kind of comically distorted but um but even the way you know you look at the the especially belleville when you get to the city and it's you know you take this idea of skyscrapers and you're like, Oh, you think they're this tall. Actually they're this tall, you know, and, and they, they, they stretch almost in like Dr. Seuss, like way impossible ways. My favorite example of this is the, the ocean liner mm-hmm. when they go to the ocean liner and you realize it, that it is this impossibly tall, narrow thing, almost like the cyclists are impossible bodies. Mm-hmm. The ship is impossible. Like it just, it, that, that could not, that is not seaworthy in any way, nor do I think it actually like, could support its own weight, you know, even if, even if it could float, um, which I kind of loved those things, like, like those, those little elements um, as part of this. Yeah. And I, and I also think that, um, and I, anyway, we should mention, we actually do get a recognizable historical figure. Uh, we get uh, Charles de Gaulle on the TV at one point. Um, and I think that, you know, by and large, the characters are not satirical until you get to belleville and i think you're getting a nice little swipe at uh at american culture there where you have that um that, gr- that grotesque statue of liberty which kind of represents american consumption and then you have these huge huge people that i mean to me i think you're getting very much a kind of a french sensibility or a french perspective on on american culture but it's it, it's not it's not mean spirited. It just seems to fit in with the with the rest of the film because the French are also are also caricatured are also mm-hmm. caricatured. So it's not it's not it's a gentle jibe, I guess I would say more than a more than a strong attack. Although of course it's also the the seat of crime and, and corruption as well. Once she gets to Belleville, and and sort of gluttony and excess and all these things. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, all those good American values. Um, so this opens with uh uh. A sort of short cartoon of its own, a short animated feature of it, or, or animated short of its own, um, which seems sort of tapped into the history of animation. It's like a different animation style. Um, this is when we're introduced to the uh, to the triplets in their maybe the triplets in their prime. Um, it also seems tapped into kind of the history of film and entertainment. Uh, you have. Uh, representations of uh fred astaire django reinhardt uh josephine baker and the triplets um they even like roughed up the film stock so so it has a you know so it looks different than the rest of the movie um uh and then we pull back from that to see you know that this is something that champion and Souza are watching um on on television what function do you think that that opening um opening short has other than to introduce the triplets yeah i think um i think it's probably you know in a, in a film that does have so many references to other sources i think it is a kind of uh tip of the hat to uh the fleischer studios 
they were kind of the contemporary rivals of Disney. Uh, the studio started in 19, was started in 1929. And some of the characters that might still resonate for people today would be, would be Betty Boop. Uh, they did Superman comics and they did uh, Popeye the Sailor. Uh, and they're, they were deliberately very different from those uh, from Disney. They were pretty rough rather than refined. Uh, and they were tended to be more artistic than commercial. Uh, and they also had surreal elements, uh, kind of a dark humor, adult psychological elements and and sexuality which is what you see i mean to be frank <laughs> that opening shocked me a little bit because i wasn't quite expecting it so you get the josephine baker figure you know being very very sexual um and so in many ways fleischer studios were much more reflective of the great depression uh they even had elements of german expressionism which we've talked about before in reference and as we talked about film noir so it's a very different kind of comic tradition and i think it's a way uh, to signal from the beginning, this is not a Disney animated film. This is a film in a, in a, in a different tradition. Absolutely. And then, so as that pulls out, um, then we get this little um, set of scenes with young, with, with, with Sousa and young champion. And I think this is, this is really lovely uh, mm -hmm. her, because it, you, you, uh, I don't know. It felt very resonant. This idea mm -hmm. of like when you are with a child who seems depressed and champion mm -hmm. seems depressed, it's like, how do you try to like bring something out of them or, or get them to like, feel good about themselves, feel good about the world they're in. And, and you, you it introduces some, some, uh, I think one of Sousa's great traits is her love for champion and her persistence that like, I am going to figure something out that's going to, bring this person out of, you know, out of themselves. And again, it's, it's done pretty wordlessly. Um, so we, we get sort of the, like I said, the, the, the love of, of, um, of Sousa for champion. And we also get kind of the, the pain when, when we see the, the, the photo of champions, parents mm -hmm. as this sort of sign of loss, there's this sense of discovery when she finds, you know, first, first she does the pulls the piano out and he's just like, no. And, but we also, uh, um, and, and, and then she brings, we get Bruno introduced at this point. And then when the, when she discovers that his, his love is for cycling, when we see him get that, the, the tricycle, just the like transformation that happens to him and the joy that you see on him, uh, I mean, it, it reminds me of the opening sequence of up mm. uh, where, where it is this like short thing to say, can we convey a lot of complex emotions in a short period of time without anybody really saying anything? Um, and, and I mean that as a compliment, I think that opening sequence of up is masterful. And I feel like this, this has a bit of that to it. Like, like you learn so much about these characters and stuff you're going to need to know later on introduced in this a pretty economical um, set of, of, of short sequences. And I think also, Sam, I think that's one of the ways in which the film is particularly masterful because for everything we were saying earlier about it being uh, a world full of characters and a, and a world with some kind of dark stuff going on and, and a world with in a film that doesn't want to want us necessarily to love it. There is a real heart at the beating at the center of this film. And I think you're right. I think that opening really shows that it's, it, in part because it is something that we can all relate to, whether from our experience as children, our experience as parents. You know, I can remember doing that with my own kids, right? Like, what is it that's going to spark their interest? 
You know, I can remember my son, uh, his uncle, you know, uh, wanted to get him interested in stamp collection, right? So we tried that for a while, and it was it was clear that wasn't that wasn't working. And uh, and at one point, he expressed interest in fencing, so we did fencing lessons for a while, and then that that sort of didn't you know that didn't pan out. And eventually, we found some some things. And I felt the same way when I was a kid. I mean, I remember my parents giving me stuff, and it's like, well. I'll do this for a while because I know that mom really wants and dad really want me to try it out, but it's, it's really not my thing. Right. And then you find the thing that is your thing. And I just love that transition and that opening scene and that scene, when you see him going around and around on the tricycle, well, before you realize he's going around and around, it looks like he's making progress right through the town. And then, and then if the camera pulls back, he's just going around and around, which I think is just a great expression of the, close connection between him and his grandmother it's 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 completely lovely and it, it just it anchors the film so that everything ha that happens after that you know is based on the the strength of this relationship absolutely so let's talk about some themes in this movie because um uh, there there are so many possible um i think directions you can go with this if i were to ask you what you think like the major theme or a major theme that you'd like to talk about in this movie. Uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go first with, with, with bringing one up here. Well, I think I just gave it away, Sam. I, I, th I think, I think the major theme is, is love. I think the major theme is loving what we do, which is how champion feels about cycling, loving the, loving the people who take care of you, which is how Bruno feels about champion and Sousa. Although that's actually a rather complex relationship. I kind of like that. And then of course there's, there's Sousa's love, love for champion. And then, and then there's even the love that emerges when she is taken in by the triplets. Uh, and you have that kind of, uh, of uh, deep friendship. So to me, ultimately, you know, lo love is the overarching, which is a terrible cliche, but love is kind of the overarching theme of the film for me. Absolutely. No. And, um, and I, it's interesting. Um, I was, I, so I watched this a second time and I was interested in like, it's so weird the way they depict not Bruno on his trike, but the difference between Bruno on his trike not Bruno, sorry, champion on his trike and champion, the cyclist. Mm. Cause there's very little joy in champion, the cyclist, yes. you know, Except there is one moment where he smiles, which yeah. I find very interesting. It's after the the long day of training that we see, and you know he sits there and they do the eating and they do the you know the massage and all this stuff. And we'll get back to that. Um, but then there's a moment where he puts a record on the phonograph and gets on a on a cycle which powers the phonograph, and he smiles at that moment. He yeah. smiles when he's pedaling and listening to the music. Um, and I found that really interesting because other than that, I, I sort of wonder like, wait, how did this kid go from cycling is my joy and my passion? And we have this, this, this like image of just like pure childlike joy to the, the way cycling has physically transformed and dis maybe destroyed his body. I don't know. And, um, and, and again, the, like that there is not that joy on his face, nor seemingly on any other cyclist's face. They all appear like we are watching them die, <laughs> you know, even when they're in the tour. Now that's a little bit of an overstatement, but I found that interesting. Um, one of the themes that, I, that jumped out to me was um, kind of the, the, the idea of ingenuity hmm. of like finding, and especially in finding creative uses for objects 
this is something that like this is along with her love for for champion and her persistence um and stick to itiveness this is one of Suze's great traits is that everywhere you go she's like she's finding a solution to a problem by looking at something in a different way and saying oh we could use this for this so we see this when she um uh again when with the the massage muscle massage sequence mm-hmm. right that she uses a vacuum cleaner she uses an egg beater she uses a lawnmower um right that that, that she's just like oh you know the or even the contraption to weigh um to weigh champion as he's eating right that that this movie is full of that or when she uses bruno as a tire you know to, <laughs> it's just like like it's like there is a solution to a problem we're going to find the solution so there is this there's all of this sense of like Sue, this is one of the things that that's one of the traits that Sousa has. And then it's so interesting when she meets the triplets mm-hmm. and it's one of the things they recognize in her because she is playing the, the spokes on that, uh, that uh, bike, that bike wheel mm-hmm. as an instrument. And then, and they're drawn to that music. They bring her in. And then she learns that that's actually one of the traits of the triplets as well is that their you know, their later musical stylings come, <laughs> through through the so so there's that, that that great moment where she like wants to put food in the refrigerator and they're like no 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 you like this is not for that the vacuum is not for cleaning up the newspaper is not for reading that these have these other uses um and i i really i really loved that i mean that's something that runs runs through it and um at least for um for Sousa, there is no uh commercial value to her ingenuity it's not like she's mm. trying she's not one of the she's you see this a lot in in uh stories right the, the inventor who's like always trying to come up with the great invention that's going to make their mark or make their name she is a great inventor and nobody and but she's not interested in selling inventions these are just solutions to problems ways to ways to do things um you know and then you see the cyclists as they are um kidnapped right they also get then used for a different purpose, right? Yes. But that does that is a commercial venture, right? So I'm because I do th- obviously there is some big theme about kind of commercialism and and mm-hmm. art in this and this. So 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 I, f- I find Souza as like in some ways a great artist, a great in- inventive mind, but not one that's pointed towards um, towards a kind of commercial venture and with the triplets i'm not sure that that's particularly commercial either they do mm-hmm. perform and presumably they get paid for that but they are not i mean that is sustaining a very meager existence for them right it appears that they cannot even afford food unless they really prefer their diet of frogs yes um which of course is a kind of a french uh self self-referential joke um but of course even the way they get the frogs right i mean that's another example of ingenuity you throw you throw a grenade into the water and out, out come the frogs i also think that all that ingenuity is is a kind of a metaphor for the uh for the filmmaking process itself you know that that what that what they're doing in the film is itself comp- uh endlessly inventive trying to figure out you know what can, what can we do next that uh that will surprise people or we can do next next that people wouldn't have thought of um and, and i and i want to go back to the idea that the champion doesn't seem to show much joy in his cycling by the time we see him as a as a as a mature cyclist um yeah he, he really is kind of reduced in a sense to a machine uh which is exactly how he gets used and in a way the value that champion has or the appeal that champion has is more 
how we see him through his grandmother's eyes and how we see him for himself. And I think that's a deliberate move. I think the idea is that he is an important person because he is loved, even if we don't see him expressing love back. I, I would also say that sometimes the danger of a passion is that you can lose the joy of the passion. Mm -hmm. you know, I think about professional athletes that both, both the ones who won't hang up the spikes because they just love doing it so much. And those who walk away because they say it's not fun anymore. This is, this is, the, and actually that was, a, that was a unique idea to me. I remember several years ago when Derek Jeter talked about how, about fun playing baseball, I used to think, you know, I've been watching baseball all my life and I never thought of the guys out there as having fun because they're being paid to do it. But he, he touched on something I thought was really very interesting that fundamentally they are having a good time. I mean, they are, they are actually guys being paid to play a kid's game. And so there is a little bit of um, sadness about the fact that you don't see in champion the kind of real joy in what he's doing, except in that moment that you identified when he's playing the music. And somehow that seems uh, seems to be something that brings him a little bit of joy. Yeah, I'm glad that, I'm glad that this movie has that in there, because that is actually one of the um, I'll just I'll get confessional here for a minute. It's one of the um, big problems that I have is that whenever I find something that I really enjoy, I find a way to turn it into homework. Mm. Like I find a way to turn it into, oh, this was a fun thing that I did. Now I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And all of a sudden it's like, remember that thing I used to enjoy? Now <laughs> it's just an assignment I have to complete. And I've, I've turned it into that. So it's one of my goals in life as I get older is to find things that I can continue to do that I only enjoy and not that becomes something else. I think in part like, I, I tend to do these things and then find ways to say, well, I can use that in my career too. And it's in 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 that 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 is actually one of the problems is like when it becomes like, oh, the thing you did for for enjoyment now becomes part of your work. Which for champion, if you're a professional cyclist, right, that has happened. You know that 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 has happened to him. And so the triplet the triplets managed to not lose the love of music, even though they are professional musicians. So you wouldn't like you wouldn't be referring to taking your love of movies and turning it into a weekly podcast, would you? Well, Sam? I, I, I am I'm talking about taking my love of making podcasts and all of a sudden being like, <laughs> I've done thousands of these now, and like, what am I like? No, it, that that is honestly the kind of thing that that I I worry about with myself. Mm -hmm. Now, this has not reached that. I'm not. This is not an announcement of any kind. <laughs> but but you you've identified the exact thing, which is yeah. like, because okay, what is this project other than literally I get an assignment every week and I do homework work now i love doing it and i'm enjoying it but but that's that's my tendency so i i i resonate with that part of champion a little bit well my version of that when i was teaching literature uh was it was difficult for me to read anything without thinking well how would this teach mm. you know maybe, maybe maybe i need to figure out that, to put this in a course and yes and turn it into homework so yeah I, I think that's a very it's a very fine line right um I, I i'm working on that right now with birding like i want to become a better birder but then it's like well i just i want to enjoy birds i'm not sure that i want to set myself a goal of studying this and studying that so yeah I, I looking at so so getting back to the movie one of the things that i also found interesting and i i can't imagine the filmmaker was thinking about this but this is a great commentary on the rise of esports mm. if you think about it because you see the tour de france right and as much as those those athletes are slogging through this there's all of this 
joy from the people around them watching these people in athletic competition and they're i mean they're actually climbing mountains and doing all of this stuff right and that as, as again as like uh caricatured as those people are there still seems like a lot of genuine joy i'm a big fan of watching the tour de france every summer mm-hmm. um and i'm always amazed by like these huge throngs of people that come to watch these guys uh these guys go by um and basically what these folks then get what happens to them is they get pulled out of actual cycling and they become not it's not exactly esports because they're still physically cycling right but they're no longer doing what they do they are now just on a treadmill watching a video screen and then we have all of these people watching them essentially play a video game Mm -hmm. and bet and gamble and that's and that becomes the thing that this is about Mm -hmm. um so i again i don't think that was the filmmaker's intent but as i was watching this i thought wow that's a pretty that's that's pretty uh uh prescient in terms of where something i mean from 2003 to now the growth of things like esports that hits close to home for me because i'll be a little bit personal i have a nephew that makes his living uh, playing video games and having people watch him play video games. So yeah, I, I, I it, it certainly is prescient in that respect. You could say this kind of the it's kind of the logical extension of spectatorship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, another. So so I want to get into the the maybe the the filmmaking or animation making commentary here because it feels like there is definitely a commentary embedded in this about. Uh, even the commercialization of animation and filmmaking um, w- when they um, steal the, the jacket, and that's a great sequence when they mm. steal the, the, the jacket from the, the engineer who builds the, the uh, cycling machine with the, with the, with the, the movie screen. Um, some of the things that they find in there, they find a picture of him in Hollywood, but it says Holly food instead, <laughs> which is, which is maybe crossing over this sort of gluttony of food and maybe commercial entertainment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you see him. I mean, he himself looks like a mouse. It looks like he has mouse ears. You see a picture of him clearly at Disneyland. Cause he has like <laughs> Mickey mouse ears on. Um, it sure, this sure feels like a, a major commentary about big studio animation, especially Disney, things like this. What are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a, as I said at the beginning, you know, with the, uh, starting with the Fleischer car- cartoon reference, this is a film that is telling us very much that this is not a, a, a Disney film. And I, and I think, and it gets back to what I said at the beginning too, Sam, about this film having a heart. I think part of what the film is trying to say is you can have uh, a human interest story. You can have a film that has uh, emotions to it, but it doesn't have to be a kind of, um, uh, it doesn't have to have that Disney, uh, well, what, what, one, one critic talks about a what he, what he calls a crippling, syrupy, Disney-esque uh, over, overtness. Uh, and I think that that's exactly what this film is telling us, that it's it's touchingly human without being suffocating is the way another critic put it. So, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a gentle and as you as you point out, it's a subtle twitting of, of Disney. But I think it's exactly what uh, what's, what's intended. So um, another thing that I want to ask about uh, the uh, is where the most Cohen's brothery part of this movie are Bruno's dreams. Yes. So Bruno has three dream sequences. So he has this relationship to the train. Now we should say um, the train is also uh, uh, an image of 
uh, sort of the growing, I'm putting this word progress in quotes, like Mm -hmm. commercial material progress, uh, because we see in the, the passage of time from champion's childhood until, until he, uh, becomes an adult, right. That the house initially was out in the country in this, one of these little small French towns. And we see on the, the, uh, as time passes, we see the town start to grow up a little more. We see the train come in and the train literally shoves Mm -hmm. the house over. So the house is leaning. So this train can go by and Bruno has to always go and bark at the train. Yes. Um, (laughs) ever since his trauma as a, as a puppy getting his tail run over by the electric train set. Um, but then Bruno has these three train dreams and I gotta say these, I, I loved these, especially the first one where he's on the train and the, the passengers are in the house barking at him. <laughs> I don't know what to make of these much in the way in Cohen movies. Sometimes there are sequences where it's like, this is interesting, but I don't quite know how to unpack it. Well, I mean, I, I, I thought of a couple things, Sam. One is I thought of, um, again, let's go back to the, to the Disney thing. This is not a Disney dog. Right. This, this is not the way animals exist. Animals behave in the Disney universe. So, especially in the way he's drawn. I mean, he, he's grotesque, right? He's so overweight. So there's that. And then uh, he has a he has a creative consciousness that no other Disney animal I can think of ever has. I mean, I love I love the particularly surreal dream where it's an image of his dog bowl, right? Mm-hmm. With champion uh cycling around the rim of it. I just and 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 some of the dreams are almost um well, you know, one of the dreams that kind of then blends into him being on top of the car with 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 Sousa. So it's almost like his dream is incorporating what's going on in the real world or even foretelling what's about to happen in the real world. So I, I think I think it's it's a matter of giving him a, a real identity apart from the humans for the that care for him. So I, I think he's individualized in a way that I've seen very few cartoon animals, including Disney ones, be in, individualized because it's not it's not a sentimentalization of him. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's a talking animal or it's not like he has, you know, a, a, re, a relationship where there's anything verbal going on. It's that his deepest identity is inside his own head where nobody can go. And to me, that gives him uh, a character that is is unique. Well, it is interesting, too, other than the, the one dream where Champion is pulling him. Um, <laughs> those dreams are not about his relationship to the other people. It is no. about his his understanding of the world is through his relationship to the train. That's really interesting to think yeah, about. Yeah. Um, so as we get to uh, as we get to the ending of this movie, um, uh, we have the big, the big sort of Hollywood <laughs> chase scene, you know, kind of, um, I love that the, the image of, of excess, even in the, the gangsters cars, my daughter commented as we were watching this, she's like, these are really poorly designed cars, which I think is part of the point. Like there's, they're so long. They can't, I mean, they're excessive. They're so long. They can't make it around corners. They're so back heavy that they can't go up a hill without tumbling down. So in some ways they are, even though the the, uh, the bike machine that's getting them out of town is moving so unbelievably slow, yes, they can't be caught because these these folks are are hindered by their own excesses. Um, yes. And I, I sort of love uh, I, I love that. Um, but then we get to the very uh, well, not the very very end. There's a scene at the very very end. But um, as this as they they ride out of town, they ride out of Belleville. When just like at the beginning, it pulls back out of that. We get this. And we see old champion watching 
this mm-hmm. by himself. Yep. Um, and he hears the voice of Sousa saying, is it over? And he says, mm-hmm. yes, it's, it's over. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, do you, do you, do you have a sense that their story was, was made into something that he's, I mean, like, I, I, again, am I overthinking the, the literalness of him watching his story or, or I mean, what, what is, what, what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, I, I think I, I understand the, is it over? Yes, it's over. But, um, but the sense of him watching the story on the television where he used to sit with his grandmother and watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, obviously it, it bookends the film, right? Because you open with them. So that's, that's pretty obvious, but I, I think it's more, a met, I think it's a metaphor for his memory. I, I, you know, I don't okay. think, they've, I don't think he's watching a film based on their adventures. I mean, you could imagine that maybe, maybe he is watching the triplets of Belleville uh, based on the story of what they did. But I th- I think it's more uh, because she's not really there and he imagines her there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more, meta- I think it's more metaphorical in the same way that for her, the memory of the triplets of Belleville was, I mean, it was a really kind of propulsive force in her life. I think his memory of what they did together was propulsive for him. And I also think it's a great point where his actual affection for her becomes apparent as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have things? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I do want to add though, to get back to the chase scene, uh, Sam, that the ultimate undoing of the last bad guy's car is the, is the, uh, it's the lowest form of 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 technique, right? She trips him up with that heavy shoe, right? I, I, I just, I mean, I you know, I, I love moments in 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 films where the the most complicated, sophisticated machinery is overcome by a by a, a simple physical uh, prop. So I, yes. I, I I happen to to really love that. Well, it's also ingenuity, right? It's also like, yeah. okay, what do? Because there actually is this moment where it's like they're searching themselves for like, what do we have left? And it's almost as if she was saving that. Like, okay, yes. well, I I have this card to play, but we're we're gonna we're gonna wait till we need it. And then, yeah, it is it is funny because it is it's not even like she does something dramatic with it. She literally sticks her foot out and trips the car. Yes, exactly. It's just yeah. great. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Uh, do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie? I have a yeah, couple. I, I, I want to talk about. Um, well, I, I guess I should say something about Sousa and her whistle. Um, I, I love the way that having decided to eschew dialogue for mo- the most part, her whistle becomes the most expressive part of her. Um, but I love one critic pointed this out. I love the way the film manages to convey the the sense of gravity, uh, the physical force. Every time they're going up those steep hills, mm-hmm. uh, you really feel like they're laboring. But one of the things I love it, early on when Champion is on one of his training sessions, right? So you have to imagine mention, uh, imagine this guy is a champion cyclist, right? But she's she, she's training him and she's keeping up with him on the tricycle. I mm-hmm. just, I just love it. I think, well, gee, if, if she can go that fast on the tricycle, either he's going really slow or she's she's really pretty amazing. But of course, it's a cartoon world, so I have no trouble, no trouble. Right, right, right. No. Um, I also loved the city of Belleville itself as this sort of um fusion of because because it, it was one of those where I'm like, what city is this? So you see the Statue of Liberty. So I thought, well. It's either New York or Paris, but Paris doesn't make sense because they're in France. But it's this sort of fusion of, of um, as I was reading, of like New York and Montreal and Paris and a couple other places. Yep. And it reminded me of, uh, this is a oh, strange reference, but George Miller's Babe 2 Pig in the City. Oh, where yeah. when they go to the city, it is like 
yes. all great cities brought together in one city. And I'm like, that's what Belleville is like that. Like, it's like they go to the babe city for this. No, that's yeah, that's absolutely. Um, couple couple of other things that I uh, that I really wanted to mention. One is um, I love. I mean, there are many scenes I love, but I love her pursuit of the ocean liner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I love when the storm comes, and then and then you get Mozart's Mass in C minor, and it's it's almost like okay, it's almost like they're saying, okay, we can out Disney Disney. And because then because then the whale shows up at, mm-hmm. at, at the end at the end. And it's almost like they're saying we can do it cutesy like Disney does it, but but we actually do it kind of better. So I just really love that. Yeah. And then of course I have to say that did I assume you watched all the way through the credits? Yes. Okay. Because there is a payoff, right? Because there is a I, I'm not gonna say anymore if people haven't seen the film yet, but there's a there's a plot strand that is that is wrapped up if you keep watching till the after the credits. And uh, I had totally forgotten about that. And then <laughs> but the second you see it, you're like, that's great. Oh yeah, they had to come back to that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um the, the last thing that I thought about, I, I was as I was writing notes this morning, writing questions, um, something just kept sticking in my head. And I did a, a search because uh, this movie came, comes out in 2003. Uh, David Foster Wallace dies in 2008. Um, and I, so I was so curious to see if he ever wrote anything about this because oh. this movie, and he, he, he didn't. In fact, I couldn't. The only connection I could find, I, I did a couple searches to try to see, like, did those things, did anybody ever write about? wallace and this um and the only thing i could find it was somebody talking about how you would how you would possibly make infinite jest into a movie and they said well you could do it animated like the triplets of belleville that's the closest i could find uh-huh. but this movie touches on so many themes that i feel like run through especially infinite jest um i, I thought about it at first when i was thinking about the statue of liberty because that's one of the things he talks about is that um in this era of commercialization in, in the, that novel um, time is subsidized so you can buy naming rights to each year and then the statue of liberty is decked out for that year so if you know in the year of the whopper presumably the statue of liberty is holding a burger just like <laughs> in here and there just there is even this i mean there a lot of infinite just has to do with sports and even like there's body dysmorphia with these tennis players and you see that here um just the the way that um kind of art and commercialization and even the sort of sense of like passion and commercialization. I, I was hoping he had written something about this because this feels like something with, which reverberates. I think if you were ever teaching, if someone was ever teaching a course on Wallace and reading infinite jest, this is something you could also watch and be like, these things seem like they could be in conversation with each other. I don't think there was, I I don't have any reason to believe that the, that the, the filmmaker was a Wallace fan or something, but it, it feels like they're swimming in the same, late 20th century early 21st century stew in terms of what they're thinking about well there's some there's some homework for you sam you can be the one to write the article linking there you go wallace with triplets of belleville (laughs) so so i i loved this movie barrett what do you have for us for next week well you know this seems to me to be inevitable uh sam that having seen references to jacques tati we we have to watch a jacques tati film so I struggle a little bit with which one to watch because there's the two that are referenced in this film and, and they're, they're both good movies. They're, they're fairly early in his career. Monsieur Hello is really the first film that gets him widely recognized, but I, I want to go right to what's considered his masterpiece. And that is playtime 
1967. Um, so it's not, it doesn't have quite the close connection to Triplets of Belleville that the other two films have, but I think it's the film that, it's really his masterpiece. And so I think, uh, why not start with the best? So uh, it's, it's available in a, in a lovely Criterion edition that's also on Amazon Prime. So it's, uh, to me, it'll be a, a fun to just check that out. Oh, I'm so excited. He is, he is somebody whose name was on a list of filmmakers that I've, as I've been going through this year, I've heard referenced a number of times and it's like, I have to go, I have to watch something from him. So this is great. Cause this is, this was, this is something I've never seen anything from him. I know very little about him, but, uh, but Tati was somebody that I, I, that, um, was a hole I wanted to fill. So this is actually fantastic uh, to have this opportunity. Barrett, thank you so much for recommending uh, the triplets of Belleville. I really adore this movie. I think, um, I think it, it, if you've seen it, um, I would, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. If you've seen it, this holds up to some interesting rewatches. There's a lot in there. Um, as you, as you go back through it and, and start to worry less about plot, there's a lot there to kind of take in both in terms of a lot of jokes that I missed the first time, but also, potential little commentaries built into it as well. So this was a, a wonderful film. That is all the time that we have. We will be back next week to talk about playtime in the video store. <laughs> <laughs>